us. It was lovely. Thanks, uh, Jenna, for leading us. And uh, really good to see you this morning. And uh, if you're a visitor, haven't been with us in a while, you're especially welcome. Margaret's going to come and read. And uh, we're going to read John chapter 4 together. So Margaret's going to do that for us. So I'm reading John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his sons Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walks, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Zerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. 
You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who was called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus replied, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they ha harvest is people brought to kingdom life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves, now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you. The story of Jesus and the woman at the well, it's been a story that has uh, gripped me for the last couple of weeks. And, uh, and there's so much that we could preach from this story, so many things that we could uh, talk about. We could talk about uh, Jesus using that statement, the fields are white unto harvest, and uh, 
And uh, they, they believe that, that as Jesus looked out and saw the village come towards him, the lady leading the village towards him, and he looked out across the crowd, he said that statement. He said, the fields are white unto harvest. And, and we could take that out or we could ask you the question of which well are you drinking from this morning? Are you drinking from Jesus' own self? You know, have you, have you been to the well? Um, but um, this morning, I don't feel led in, in any of those sort of ways. If you're getting a bit cold and you need that uh, window closed, don't be afraid to close it over that side. You know, the goal of Scripture is not information. And, and it's not just transformation. But it's application. It's not just application, sorry. It's transformation of our hearts. And so as we, as we delve into Scripture, that's what we need to keep in mind, that, that this story is not just to inform us, but as we apply it to our lives, as we apply it to our thinking, that God will transform the way that uh, we, we think. Um, one translation says the result of this woman's, the, the result of this uh, woman's um, experience with Jesus that her life was transformed and not alone her life was transformed but her village was transformed also and, uh, and we're very much mindful that we're, we're going to be moving into the village in, in a couple of weeks time um, it was interesting hearing the statistics that only about 10% of, of our local village go to church attend a church service on a Sunday morning and so uh, there is a huge field. There is a huge harvest, and uh, and uh, we're we're excited about that. But we must first of all be transformed ourselves. I believe as we go into to areas to see transformation happening, we need to allow again and again God to transform us. I heard this saying: "Transform people, transform people." It's infectious. Transformation is infectious. Once you see that a life has been transformed, there's something that attracts you to that, isn't there? To hear a story of someone's life been, been turned around or um, moved from a bad situation into a, a different place, and uh, there's something that attracts us. And, uh, um, but the, tr- the, the opposite is also true. We say transform people, transform people but the opposite is true and, and Dave and Chris uh, shared that with us last weekend hurt people also hurt people if you're carrying hurt if your hurt hasn't been transformed by Christ we have a tendency to hurt people uh, don't, don't look at me like as if you don't know what I'm talking about you know, remember Dave and Chris said sometimes something comes up out of the blue and you're like, why on earth did I react that way? Or why did I act that way? When you look back on the situation. And sometimes it can be unresolved issues or stuff that has been suppressed down within us. But let's, let's delve into this passage. I've looked over it for a couple of weeks and, and the more and more I look at it, the more and more I love it. And, uh, and uh, I could probably speak on it for ages and ages, but... Uh, I don't want to do that this morning. Uh, we see right at the start of this passage that 
uh, the first thing that we see, Jesus will inconvenience himself. He will cross every barrier, every racial, every racial barrier as well, break every racial rule, religious rule, and social rule to get to you. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus had to leave Judea, we read at the start of this. One translation says that he, he left abruptly because um, there was a great revival happening. Lots of people were getting baptized, um, but, but the religious people in Judea didn't like him. They didn't like what he was doing. And they were giving out, they were saying, you know, you're baptizing more people than John ever baptized. You see, John the Baptist, he worked out in the wilderness. He didn't affect the towns, really. People came out from the towns to him, but this was a different story. Revival was happening in the towns. And so uh, uh, I think Jesus probably got to the end of his tether and said, you know what, I'm out of here. I can't cope with this, this uh, religious behavior. And I was thinking about that. You know, all down through the years, the people who opposed revivals the most, the moves of God, the, the people who opposed it the most in the past were the religious folk. They were the people who couldn't, uh, couldn't cope with that. They were people who had what we call an orphan spirit. They, were, they, they reacted out of their insecurities. These were the people, these religious people were the people that knew one day Jesus would come. But because of their religious beliefs, because of all that they carried around them, all the barriers that they had put up, they couldn't see he actually had come. Imagine if Jesus was in our midst today and we didn't know he was actually here. Wouldn't that be very sad? And so he sets out to go north to, to a town called Galilee. Um, and, uh, and it's a couple of days' journey north. And uh, there's two ways that you can go to Galilee. You can either go up at the east along the River Jordan, or you can go up the west through a village called Samaria. And one translation says that he had to go through Samaria. For some reason, he had to go through to Samaria. But Jewish people don't normally go through Samaria. They don't mix. Samaritan people and Jewish people don't mix. Jewish people believed that they were better than the Samaritans. You see, the Samaritans were a mix of Jewish and Gentile people. They were a, a, a separate race of people on their own. Some believed that if you stopped even to talk to a Samaritan person, if a Jew stopped to talk to a Samaritan person, you would be affected by sin. But Jesus was compelled to go that, that way. As he approaches the town, he stops at a well. And we know that that well is called Jacob's Well at a small village. It's the middle of the day. It's blistering hot. He's tired probably and exhausted after his journey. And he sits down at the well. But he sends his disciples on ahead. He says, guys, you know what? It's been a long day. Appreciate your your journeying with me so far, but you guys go on ahead, get some food, get out of the hot, uh, out of the heat, and the, um, and get some rest. And he waits there. He purposely waits there. He waits there, and then the story starts to unfold. He waits there for a Samaritan woman who comes along. Now we know very little about this Samaritan woman, um, but she comes along to get get waters and Jesus right away 
crosses, as I said, crosses the barriers, the social barriers, the racial barriers, the religious barriers. And what he does is he engages in conversation. I love people who can engage in conversation. You can just take the ordinary and just engage. Yeah, I see Ian Liggett nodding his head. He's, he's good at that. He's good at just engaging uh, in, in conversation. And so Jesus engages in conversation with this, with this woman. You know, women don't talk to men on their own in those days. Jews don't engage in conversation with Samaritans. Samaritans don't serve Jews. He asked her for a drink of water. And so he, 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 he's purposeful about where he wants to be. And he's purposeful about talking to this lady. The second thing that we see in this story um, he's, is that he has, your story or this woman's story matters to him. He wants to delve beyond the surface. Now, in the New Testament, this is the longest conversation Jesus has had or has had in the whole of the New Testament with one person. So I think this is significant. I think there's something significant. He preached many sermons. He did the Sermon on the Mount. But this is the longest recorded conversation Jesus has with any person. And this person happens to be a woman. And this ha person happens to be a Samaritan woman. I've heard many people preach on this, that this woman had a shady past. Um, that she had a bad reputation in the village. Some even say that she was a prostitute. Um, and, and they come to that conclusion just by two things. One, that she was at the well at the middle of the day. She was a social outcast. She couldn't go when everybody else could. And two, that she had five husbands. And the man now that she's with isn't her husband. Puma encouraged me to look at, um, at marriage, what marriage meant to a Samaritan. And how marriage, what their view of marriage and divorce was. And it's very different to the way Jews viewed marriage and divorce. It's very different... Um, um, Marriage was based, for a Samaritan woman, it was based on a thing called a diary. Now, those of us who are of a certain age and above will understand what a diary was. When you married your wife, I, when, when I married my wife, I was supposed to get five camels and two horses. But, and that was the diary. That's a joke, by the way. And so, if a woman... A Samaritan woman didn't have a diary. A, a, a marriage was a legal contract. It wasn't a ceremony for Samaritan people. It was for Jews, but not Samaritans. It was a legal contract. And if a woman didn't have a diary, she couldn't enter into the contract. So her fifth, ma for her, her, she had five husbands, but the fifth one, maybe she didn't have the diary so she could marry the sixth man. But the more and more I see, more and more I study this, I see this woman uh, was a woman of depth and she was a seeker of truth. See, we're very, we're very quick to judge on the surface, aren't we? I, I am, I am. Before we actually listen 
to her story. Verse 9 tells us when Jesus said to her, he said, uh, give me a drink. And she quickly goes back at him and says, she says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and I don't want to cause you to sin. So I'm not going to give you a drink. She was a respecter of culture. She wasn't brazen. She wasn't flippant. Second thing is she understood her Torah. She understood the first five books of the Bible because she said to him in verse 11, she said, you say that you're going to give me a drink. Are you, are you better than actually this well which was dug by your forefathers, Jacob? You see, Jacob meant a lot to the Jewish people. And she understood, she understood scripture. She understood, uh, um, she understood Jesus's and the Jews' heritage. And this, the, the next thing was that she lived by truth. When Jesus challenged her, he didn't challenge her, he just said to her, go and bring your husband. And she said, um, uh, she could have said, well, uh, yeah, I'll go and get him. Couldn't she? She could have said that. She could have just, um, but she was truthful. She said, no, he's not my husband. And he said, that's right. And then he goes on into into uh, the story. I thought this was an interesting one as I thought about it. She obviously believed in marriage. I've, I've been married once. Uh, me and Paul understands that marriage can be quite a challenge. But to enter into marriage five times, she obviously believed that there was something, there was something to be gained out of marriage. Didn't she? But you wouldn't do it five times. You wouldn't, you wouldn't go back into it again. You might do it twice or three times or four times. But she obviously believed that there was something to be gained out of marriage. You see, we don't know what happened to her husbands, do we? But we have all got a wee story in our head what happened to her husbands. Maybe her first husband or her second husband was killed in battle because there was battles in those times. Maybe her third husband died of an, Ill, an illness of some form or another. Maybe, yes, maybe one of her husbands did run away. We don't know. But, uh, uh, or maybe one was just killed in an accident working on the farm. As I said, the earlier marriage for smart and women were, was, uh, was very different. But maybe for her, when it came to the sixth man, Maybe she couldn't marry the sixth man because she spent her diary taking care of her kids. Did you ever think about that? See, women weren't allowed to earn money in those days. And maybe she had to use all her money to do that. But uh, we don't know. We don't know how she arrived at this time in her life. Um, we don't know what pain she carried. We don't know what decisions she had to make and how maybe her life had been disappointments or hurts had, had got her on the journey so far. But I basically see Jesus here. Some, some have preached that, that he exposed her sin, and, 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 and he did expose her sin. He did, but he didn't just expose her sin, he exposed her life. And I, see, I basically see Jesus saying to her, I know your story. And I, it matters, and I care. 
and he sits, in spite of how complicated it is, he sits and has this conversation. And he says, even in spite of how messy it is, and how, how, how ridiculous it probably looks to the outside world, he still gives her an invitation to come and drink of the water of eternal life. And I think that's beautiful. I think that's just, and that's Jesus. That's the Jesus that we need to represent. He invites people to come, no matter what that looks like, no matter how messed up our lives are. Verse 19 shows that she was a seeker of truth. Um, she, she starts to enter into a dialogue. She, she, he reveals, he said to her, you've got five husbands. And she, she quickly responds and she says, you must be a prophet. How did you know all about me? And so they enter into a dialogue together. And uh, it's about worship. And you know, the church is so divided about worship, isn't it? Do we worship this style or this style? Do we worship here or here or here? And it was the same for the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews believed that you worshipped in a certain place and the Samaritans believed in another. But she wasn't satisfied with that. She knew that there had to be something more. Because she said, you know, when Christ returns, and he is going to return, she, was very, she knew that. When he returns, he's going to tell us where we need to worship. He's going to ask, that, he's going to answer that question. And so the application of that point, I think, is that, as I've already said, many times we sit and create stories about people. And we don't really know what's underneath the surface. We've never really taken time to listen to the story at all. And Jesus takes time for our whole story. And guess what he does in doing that? Guess what we do in doing this? In listening to someone's story? We add value to a person. We give a person value. I have to be careful here because sometimes I go beyond the notes and then have to catch them again. Point number three is that Jesus will always leave a person in a better place than he finds them. Her life was transformed. We read that in verse 28. And she, she's so excited that, that, that about this meeting with Jesus that she leaves her bucket behind her. Now, that's no big deal to us. Um, but it was for this lady. And she ran back to the village and she proclaimed and shouted and heralded about this man. Come see this man who, who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the one that we are waiting for? Could this be the one that we have sat and chatted about? Could this be the one that we are waiting to fill, fulfill all of our expectations? Because we have tried it all. I believe she sat within a community within her village. She had to have had because the response of her village was very quick. They, 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 they heeded what she said and they went back to meet with Jesus. If she, was a, if she was an outcast lady, why would they listen to her? If she was a lady of a bad reputation, why would they, they, they bother? And uh, 
And so I, I like to paraphrase sometimes things. And I can imagine this woman went back and said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. He's been the one we've been waiting for. Guess what? He didn't condemn me, but offered me a gift, a gift of eternal life, or the gift of eternal life. I heard a man preach one time, and he said Christ exposed her sin, and at that point she repented of her sin and received eternal life. We don't read that in this story. He offered her eternal life and then told her what her story was. And we need to be careful of that because I do believe in repentance. I believe there is a turning away from the old life, but it is, it's after we have met Christ. Sometimes we come, we think we need to get ourselves all cleaned up. We need to get all of our ducks in a row. We need to get it all sorted out before we come to Christ. That's not what the Bible teaches you come to Christ as you are. And repentance happens as Christ is revealed to us. Repentance isn't a law. It isn't a, it isn't a commandment. It's a result of Christ revealing himself to each one of us. He met this woman in her mess and in her pain, knowing all about her, and offers her the gift of eternal life leaves her in a better place. Point number four is a story transformed has the power to bring many to Christ. Verse, uh, verses uh, 29 and 30. She says, Come see a man who told me everything I did. And uh, could this be the Christ? And then we read that the, the whole village came out of the town and made their way to Christ. She went back, shared her story. What, what an effect this woman's story had. And, and so the whole village comes back. You know, over our life group seminars, we have allowed people to share their story each night. And there's tremendous power in people sharing their story. We have allowed people to share how God has taken each, each one of the people who shared their brokenness, their, their, the state that they found themselves in and transformed their pain into something beautiful. And that really excites people. That really, really um, um, causes people to think about where they're at in life and how life could change for them. You know, I've said it earlier, if pain isn't correctly transformed, exposed and brought into the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If pain is suppressed, bottled up, guess what happens? One day it comes to the surface. And what we tend to do is we tend to transfer that pain to the people around us. We either transfer it this way or we transfer it this way. We transfer it to the people around us today or we transfer it down throughout uh, through into the next generations. And we can see this with the disciples. The disciples came back and saw Jesus talking to the woman, and they were really annoyed about this. They were a little bit annoyed that Jesus would be talking to a Samaritan woman. And uh, as Margaret read 
their faces, I don't, maybe you did, maybe that's not in your translation, but no one dared say anything, but their faces told it all. Do you ever walk up to someone and you know that their face is saying something, but they're afraid to say it themselves? And instead of just having a chat with Jesus about it and saying, you know what, help us understand this, help us work through this, Jesus. What they did is they suppressed it. They pushed it down. And then later on, we see they argued with Jesus over something trivial because they didn't allow that pain or that disappointment to be transformed into something. And as I said, that um, uh, Dave and Chris talked about that, the circle of pain, how we continue in a circle of pain. You know, maybe you're living under pain and disappointment. Maybe you've been let down and hurt you're living with some insecurities. Maybe you've allowed that sort of stuff to shape your identity. Proverbs 5 talks about continually drinking from the well of disappointment and expecting something else. Continually drinking stale water and expecting a fresh taste in your mouth. I love this story because Jesus said he is the true well. He is the, the true tra- translation is artisan spring, a fresh spring of water. Maybe that's what you're doing. You know, can I say this with all sensitivity as much as I can? Your pain and your disappointment do not determine who you are. Yes, we have all pain and we have all disappointment. But who, what determines who we are is who we belong to. And we have the choice to choose who we belong to. And what, who we belong to, guess what we do? We worship who we belong to. And sometimes people worship their pain. Sometimes people worship their disappointment. They go back and keep drinking from the old well. You know, he's the only one that can truly transform our pain. And sometimes that means that we need to have an odd, lengthy conversation. And if we're to be Christ's representatives here on earth, then we need to be prepared to act the same way as Jesus did. Taking time to listen to people's story. Point number five, and... And we're well on. I'm not saying finished because Neil hates listening to a recording that says you're nearly finished and you're not nearly finished. But give me five minutes. I think this is an important thing. This story encourages us to have our own story. What do I mean by that? Verse 39, we read, Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And, uh, and verse 40 says, so when the Samaritans came to him, guess what they did? They invited him to stay. They invited him to stay. And, and the result of him staying was that many more became believers or followers. And, uh, and it's great hearing testimony. And it's great hearing your family going on with the Lord and it's great hearing your friends going on with the Lord and it's great seeing that 
But I think this story tells us that each one of these people had to invite Jesus into their story and start their own story with Christ. They say that I like what this woman says. And I like what the people say in, in the final verse about this woman. They said to the woman, we no longer just believe because of your story. But we have heard and seen and experienced Christ ourselves. And now we believe because of him and because he really is the savior of the world. They said to her, we are initially believed because we heard your story and we saw the transformation in your life. We saw something we haven't seen before or haven't seen in a long time in you. But then we invited him in. We've invited him to become part of our community, part of our lives, part of our stories. And the result is that we experienced him for ourselves. And now we are truly convinced he is the one who was promised. Can I ask you a personal question this morning, as, as I really do end it, want to end? On a personal level, will you invite Jesus into your story? Will you allow him to transform your pain? Now, I know I'm talking to people who maybe need to do that for the first time. And maybe you need to rededicate your life to him. Maybe you have invited him into your life. But I find oftentimes I need to continually re-invite him into my life. Because I allow pain. I allow pain to push him to one side. And then I'm down the road for a bit and I realize, ah, I need to re-invite him into my life. I need to re-invite him into the story of last week or the story of last month or the story of last year. Maybe you think your life's too messy. Maybe there's too much disappointment. Maybe there's too much hurt. Maybe there's too much pain. Maybe you think you're beyond your pain is beyond transformation. Don't think for one moment there is one thing that will hold them back from getting to you. And hopefully I've displayed that in this story today, that he will cross every barrier, every rule, every man-made thought to transform your pain. You know, we, um, we did this at Life. Life on, on the fourth night, Ronnie talked about Jesus being our Savior, the gift of God. But he also talked about him being our Lord. And you know what? He wants to be Lord of our pain as well. He wants to be Lord of our brokenness. He wants to be Lord of our disappointment. Not just our Savior but Lord of every area of our lives. And then on a second level, 
you know, I believe there's a hunger within our community. There's a hunger within people around us. They're searching for something to change. And will you allow God to use your pain, transformed in his hands, to be part of that transformation within our communities, within the places we find ourselves? Let me finish by this. Really, I'm finishing. See, it's only 10 to 11. Transform pain. Transform pain transforms lives. And transform lives transform communities. Transform pain will transform your life. But a transformed life can transform a community through the power of Christ. Don't be afraid to invite him into your story. Whatever part you're at, don't be afraid to invite him or re-invite him back into your story. He's time to listen.